Welcome to Common Ground Church Rondebosch, a community based in Cape Town, South Africa, who believe that if Jesus is who he says he is, that changes everything. Our sermon podcast aims to unpack this reality, rooted in scripture and dependent on God's spirit. The book of Galatians is a gospel clarifying letter that unpacks the richness and completeness of what Jesus did for us in his death and resurrection. It clearly defines what the gospel is and is not for its readers. It helps us realize the depths of God's love for us in a life of relationship and obedience to Him in His power. Please continue listening for today's message. We're going to read this morning from uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then moving to verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ruth. Um, My name's Ian, for those of you who don't know me, and it is my pleasure to continue our Galatians series. And um, we're going to be spending 20 weeks in the book of Galatians. We're going to break it up into three parts, and in between each of those parts, we're going to do another um, series of some sort and um, break it up that way. And we're in part one called Defining the Gospel. And and, uh, Jane kicked off week one last week, 
And she unpacked a, a kind of overview of the book of Galatians and some of the things that we're going to be looking at and kind of whet our appetites for the journey that we're going to be going on. And she, she expressed how this is one of Paul's most impassioned letters where he basically said, well, if you want to add circumcision to the gospel, you might as well go the whole way and emasculate yourselves. I'm going to warn you, in this book, you're going to hear about circumcision a lot. It's one of the key themes that we're dealing with. And, and we're going to see how it's relevant to our faith today. But Paul really is contending for something in this, um, in this letter. And, and what he's ultimately contending for is, is the way that God has revealed for people to find peace with him and peace with each other. And what's happening in this letter is undermining that reality. And we, we live in a generation and a time that, that gives us lots of messages about how to, how to transform as people, how to become better people. There are lots of ideas out there. You can buy books, The 12 Rules to Life. How do you improve yourself? Other philosophies around mindfulness and being aware of oneself. If we can just get 1% better every day, then society will get better. If we deal with our stuff, we'll move into society, better people, and society will become better. But all these hopes of transformation and transform lives, at the center of them have this message of do better. Do better. Make yourself better. It's hard, but if you can just do a little bit every day, you'll get a little bit better and everything will get a little bit better around you. But at the source of it is you get better. And the, the message that Paul's going to be contending for throughout the whole of this gospel, I mean, throughout the whole of this book, is one of the gospel's not a message of do better. The gospel is a message of someone who has done what needed to be done so that our lives could be transformed in the most profound ways. That's the message of Galatians. And as we get into this, this book this morning and, and, and unpack the, these first few verses, we're going to see that, that Paul is contending for the gospel, that he's contending for the origin of the gospel, and that he's contending for us to experience the power of the gospel. So I'm going to pray and we're going to dive in. Father, I ask that as we unpack your words this morning and hear about your incredible message of good news towards us as, as, a, as your creation and as people and as your created beings, God, that, that these words would come alive to us. They, they would have a profound impact on us. Father, we don't believe that we're, we're coming to empty words or ideas of people. We believe that we're coming to the creator of the universe who has spoken. And as you speak this morning, God, we pray that our hearts and our lives would be transformed by your power. We come to the living God. Amen. So let's look at that first one, contending for the gospel. So this little introduction, verses one through five that we've, we've just read, is probably one of the most muted introductions to Paul's letters. He's written a lot of letters in the New Testament and in many of those letters, he'll, he'll go on after his greeting to go and just greet these people who I know when I was with you and thank these people for what they did for me and I'm gonna pray a big um, extravagant prayer of thankfulness to God for your faith and your endurance and what you're going through and then we're gonna go and get into stuff, some stuff and I'm gonna write a letter to you is how Paul normally writes. But this greeting is very muted. He doesn't do that. He doesn't mention names and he doesn't pray prayers of thankfulness to their faith. He just gets straight into his point. 
And these verses one through five is this muted introduction from Paul. And then verses six through 11, Ryan's actually gonna unpack next week as he, he gets into the issue and the thing that he's hurrying to. But this mutedness that Paul writes with shows us that, that he's, he really wants to get into the meat of what he has to say. There's an urgency to this letter and he doesn't have time to, to thank and, and pray for people's faithfulness. He's going, there's something going on here that I really, really, really just need to say and it needs to get said. But in the same time, the mutedness of his introduction is interesting because there are points in this introduction that he actually expands more than other um, introductions to the letters. So when he says in verse one, Paul and an apostle, he says that in almost every introduction of the letters that he writes, Paul and apostle. But here in this letter to the Galatians, he expands on it. He says, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. He feels this need to defend his apostolic authority. That he was, he was an eyewitness to the account of Jesus, I mean to the resurrected Jesus, and that Jesus commissioned him and sent him in a unique way to establish the early church and the church for generations to come by laying down scripture. And, and he feels this need in this letter to go, that wasn't my doing. I didn't decide to do that. I didn't choose to do that. That wasn't my idea and that wasn't the idea of other people around me. That was Jesus's idea. And he made me that when I encountered him. And so the, we're starting to see some of the, the things that Paul is having to contend for right up front in this letter as he expands his normal greetings. And then a second greeting that he expands, which is very normal, he would always say this, verse three, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A very common phrase, you see it at the beginning of his letters. But unlike other letters, he expands it here. And he goes on to say, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so Paul does this, this amazing greeting, grace to you, peace from God. He loves to root his letters in an invitation to the people of God to enjoy freely the goodness of God's grace and the wonder that we have peace with him and peace with each other. He starts every letter like that. Let's just root everything I'm gonna say in the grace and the goodness and the kindness and the mercy of God and the fact that we have peace with him and peace with each other. Let's just start there. But in this letter, he unpacks it and he gets into some, some real gospel foundational truth right up front when he says, Jesus gave himself for our sins. The, the father, he said earlier, raised him from, from death to life. He, he, he gave himself on a cross to, to rescue us from this present evil age. And he was obedient to the will of the father. And all of this points to the glory of God. And you see right up front him expanding those ideas of grace and peace into some fundamental gospel truths. And in these two expansions of these normal greetings, what we see is Paul already contending for what's happening in the Galatians church. There seems to be a gospel issue a fundamental gospel issue, an understanding of the good news of Jesus, who he is and what he's done. There's a misunderstanding that is undermining the very reality of their faith in this church. And Paul is going, this is serious. 
This is something I need to move towards quickly. There is something happening in the church of Galatians that is causing people to to doubt the, the gospel that Paul preached and to doubt his authority that he has to preach the gospel that he was preaching. And as we go through this later, we're gonna get into the details of it and we're gonna unpack it and we're gonna see why this matters and and what it is they're doing and why Paul moves towards it so quickly. But very simply, there, there are Jewish people in the church of Galatians who have come to believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah, but what they're doing is trying to bring Torah or law obedience and Jewish identity into the Christian faith. They're saying, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. Yes, the gospel. But there is also something of Torah observance or law observance that we need to bring into this faith. And there's something of our Jewish identity we need to keep, namely circumcision as an identifying factor that we're Jewish. And Paul's gonna contend, hey, that undermines the very gospel that I preached to you. And that, that's a problem. That's a problem. When I... When I walk up to a a road with my two kids, it's an opportunity for two things, instruction and connection. I love it. We get there and I get to connect with them. I go, guys, grab my hands. And I hold their hands. And as I hold their hands, I go, okay, are you ready? And they nod their heads, okay, let's look. And we look left and right and left again. And they do it too. And then Nathan screams because he's seen a truck or a bucky or something and he gets super excited. And then we, we wait and I go, are you ready? Okay, and this is how we cross the road. And we're gonna do it quickly, but we're not gonna run. And then we go. And we go across the road and we embark on that journey together. It's instruction and connection. And so many of the letters that Paul writes, at the beginning, he's seeking instruction and connection. He's gonna go, hey guys, um, thank you for this. And I'm so grateful to God for your grace and your faith. And and this is good. And I've got some stuff I need to teach you. So are you ready? Let's go. And he he connects with them and then he starts to instruct them. But this is different in this letter. What's happening here is that moment, we live on quite a busy road and we'll be taking people, saying goodbye to people who've been visiting us and we're getting into the car and I see one of my kids running towards the road and I go, stop, stop. And I'm not actually seeking connection. What I'm seeking is to stop tragedy so that connection can continue. And I'm like, you just need to stop. And there's no, there's no time to waste. I'm not gonna go, hey, hold my hand. I'm like, stop, you're about to jump off the edge. Tragedy is about to fall upon you, just stop. And actually at the tone, the start of this letter, as Paul starts to see the Galatians church starting to add to change or detract from the grace of God and the message of God, he goes, stop. I need to move straight towards this. I want to keep, I want to keep you from tragedy so that we can stay connected. And that's his tone at the beginning of this letter and his tone throughout this whole letter. And Paul's going to spend this letter defending the gospel, contending for what it is. He realizes that this gospel is soon becoming a gospel of man and men and people. It's, it's been morphed into something that, that men have invented. And the danger with that is when we do that to the gospel, it becomes devoid of the very power of God. And so where the gospel starts, its origin matters. The origin of the gospel matters. And Paul's gonna gonna start contending with the Galatians church right up front by saying, the origin of my authority is God. We saw that earlier in verse one. And then in verse 11, when we jump down, we're gonna see that he's saying the, the origin of, of, of this message, the origin of, of what I came talking to you about is not me and other people, but God himself. 
verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel was not preached by, the gospel preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from a man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he's, he's making a very simple claim. The message that I brought to you, I heard from Jesus directly, the creator of the universe, the resurrected one. And, and, and that's his claim. So I didn't hear this directly from people. I had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus and he spoke his truth to me. He spoke his gospel to me. That's the source of my message. And that's the source of my call to go and declare that message. It's a message directly from God. And yes, Paul would have, um, Paul would have heard elements of the message as a persecutor of the church. Paul would have heard some of the truths and some of the claims about Jesus being the Messiah and some of the impact it was having on people, but he had, nearly, he had never fully comprehend or had a revelation of the gospel. And as he meets the person Jesus, as he encounters the resurrected Jesus and hears his voice and sees his glory, he has a revelation of Jesus and goes, he is who he says he is and he's done what he says he's done. And he goes out with his message. And the origin of his message is an encounter with Jesus himself. And yes, Paul's encounter with Jesus is unique. And we're gonna get to that later. We're gonna see the uniqueness of Paul's encounter. But what we can learn from this, if you're here looking into the claims of faith and wondering what the Christian faith is about, you might think, hey, this is just another message amongst many messages about how to make yourself better. And it's, it's, it's completely different because this isn't just the ideas of people. This isn't just good ideas. This isn't just 12 rules for a good life. This is a claim that God himself has revealed himself and has declared the good news of his gospel that we can be reconciled to him. And actually what this is, is an invitation to encounter Jesus himself. And so if you're here looking at the claims of faith, this is an invitation, not to just a good idea or to a message, but to a person, Jesus. And then Paul goes on to say, I really, really did just get this from Jesus. I'm not making this up. I, I had this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. I, I had a revelation that he is who he says he is and he gave me his message. In verse 16, read what he goes and does. I did not imitate, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I didn't talk to anyone else. Nor did I go to Jerusalem where all the apostles before, um, to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the region of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. He's, he tells us his whole movements to say, I had this encounter, then I disappeared basically for three years and declared the gospel in Damascus and, and other places before I even went to Jerusalem where I could have encountered the apostles. And then I only met James and, we, and there wasn't much change. And then I went out, carried on doing what I was doing. And his claim is quite a radical claim. I had no contact with the other apostles, those who, who walk with Jesus, who witness his crucifixion, his resurrection, and met him in power. I didn't have any contact with them. My message, my source, the origin of my message is directly from Jesus himself. That's his radical claim. 
And he's not a mad man who's just, I met Jesus and going around declaring a message. Those who are now around him as he writes this letter, as we see in verse two, and all the brothers who are with me, Paul's going, hey, there are brothers around me, there are people around me as I write this letter who testify that the things I'm saying are true and that my message is the message of Jesus. And next, in two weeks' time, what we're gonna do is see that Jesus, and Paul then argues, I got this message from Jesus, but then when I did eventually go and meet and encounter the apostles, what took place was they affirmed my message. It's incredible. He encounters the person of Jesus, goes off on three years plus worth of mission, declaring the gospel, and he finally gets to the other 12 apostles and speaks to them. They say, we're speaking the same message. We're speaking the same message. We have both encountered the risen Jesus. So Paul defends his authority and his message in this way. And it's incredible that as Christ follows for 2,000 years, the same gospel, the same message of God's goodness, who Jesus is and what he's done has been declared through the centuries and has not needed to change. And the power of God has been working throughout human history as we look back and people respond to this message. And it is a message that comes with the power of God. There is power in this gospel. And Paul goes on to declare the power of the gospel, not by just saying, hey, there's power in this gospel, but going, I encountered the life-transforming power of this gospel myself. Verse 13, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. His next argument as he contends that this message is from God is that you need to understand how powerful this message has been in my life. I love how he says, for you have heard of my former life. He's about to go on. Something so drastic and so powerful took place in my life that I, from that moment, I talk of my former life. It's like a different person. It's like a different existence. It's a different time. I'm fundamentally different now. And he's honest, he goes, I was a persecutor of the church of God, violent, and tried to destroy it. It's incredible, this man Paul hated the message of the church. He hated the church. He didn't just denounce the church in words, he brought violence to the church. And in his heart, his great delight would be to see the church destroyed. This is Paul, this is the man writing the book of Galatians. And in verse 14, he, he continues to unpack what his former life was like. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. You see, Paul was not just a faithful Jew to the, the ways of God and found in, in, in the Old Testament, but he was extremely zealous for the traditions of of their father. And, and what you saw in Jewish culture happen is you had the law and then you had these traditions that got added to and went beyond the law out of a sincere desire to make sure that they never broke the law, they added and put these kind of traditions in place to make sure they were further from breaking the law than they could be. And, and Paul was on the extreme of this, a Hellenist, he was on the extreme of this, following many, many, many traditions on top of the law. And he didn't just follow them, but he was zealous for them. He was a religious fanatic. 
And we can be sincerely, we can be sincere and zealous and be sincere and zealously wrong. And Paul, in his sincerity to honor God and be right with God, had become a fundamental who was missing the work of God entirely. In fact, he was missing it so much that he was trying to destroy the very work of God in his midst. And it's interesting because it's not like an atheist who goes, there is no God. There is no God and then encounters Jesus and goes, oh, well, there might be a God. There are lots of stories like that. Or an agnostic who goes, I'm not sure. And then they hear the, this incredible message of who Jesus is and a light switch goes on. They go, he is who he says he is. This is far more someone who has a fundamental different belief about who God is. This is who God is. And anyone who says something different is blaspheming against our God and is worthy to be put to death. He's a religious zealot, willing to murder people who denounce what he believes to be true about God. That's where his heart is at. That's who he is. I would rather kill than change my mind or listen to the message of the church. And then verse 15, as Paul unpacks his testimony, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. There's this incredible moment where God breaks in to Paul's life. There is nothing in Paul at this stage that is expecting what's about to come his way. And completely independent of the beliefs of Paul and completely independent of the actions of Paul, God initiates towards Paul. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, Paul goes, there was something in the heart of God before I was even created where he said, I'm going to initiate towards you. And independent and despite yourself, and independent and despite your violence towards me and my people, I'm gonna to choose to move towards you in grace and mercy. That he was called, Paul knows that he was called by the grace of God. That there was nothing in Paul's life that deserved this initiation of God towards him. Nothing. That Paul was completely and utterly undeserving to the point where Paul didn't want it. He wanted to destroy what it was that God was offering. And this is what grace is. It is the unmerited, undeserved favor, mercy, kindness of God. This is a, this is a radical message that God would move towards an undeserving person, not based on who they are, what they've done, not even what they believe, simply by his grace, mercy, and good choosing. It's the center of the gospel, this grace of God. And Dunn says we mustn't limit grace to just unmerited favor and the goodness of God or the undeserved mercy. We need to also call grace the very power of God at work. And what's happening in this moment is that God is moving towards Paul with the fullness of his life-transforming power 
in grace and mercy and kindness. And Paul has no idea that it's coming. Acts 9, this is the heart of Paul. This is the heart of Paul as he leaves on the road to Damascus. But, but Saul, so Paul interchanges his name, Saul and Paul, throughout, you see it throughout the Gospels, throughout Acts, throughout, he interchanges it based on whether he's speaking to Hebrews or Greek people. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priests and asked him for, the, for letters to the synagogue at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. That's the heart of Paul as he heads out on this road to Damascus. It says, still, I love that phrase, it shows the heart of Paul, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. That's his heart. And his longing is to go to Damascus and to grab men and women out of their homes, to rip them out of their families, bind them and take them back to Jerusalem where they can be punished, flogged, beaten and thrown into prison. That's the heart of Paul. which makes verse 16 so incredible. God was pleased to reveal his son to me. He's breathing murder towards God's work and God's people. And as he walks along this road to Damascus to commit murder and to bind people, Paul's experience of his encounter with Jesus is that God was pleased to reveal his son to me. God delighted to initiate towards me in grace and mercy and to introduce me to his son, Jesus. It's mind blowing that the heart of God isn't one of grumpiness. I'm gonna just take Paul and I'm gonna change him so that the stuff stops. No, I want you to meet Jesus. I want you to experience my goodness. I want you to experience my grace. I want you to experience my kindness and you don't deserve it at all. It is something in me that orientates me towards you. It's humbling. It's deeply humbling. Look at his encounter, Acts 9, 3. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven um, shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. So I said it was a unique encounter. That's not how I came to faith. I don't think many, if anyone, has ever come to faith the way Paul did. Uh, This powerful moment where Jesus reveals the fullness of his glory and and Paul sees Jesus and hears the voice of Jesus commission and call him to his unique apostolic role of writing scripture and laying down the foundations of the church. But how is this possible that Jesus could move towards Paul, a murderer and a hater of the church? Well, we saw it in the opening to the letter, verse three. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. Grace is the the wonder of the gospel. The cross is what makes the gospel possible. 
that Jesus, the creator of the universe, would step out of human history and that he would willingly substitute himself on a cross. What did Paul deserve? He deserved the cross. He deserved death. He deserved judgment. And God would have been righteous in enacting that judgment. And that's what, a, what, that's what hell and eternity apart from God is, is the, the just enactment of judgment for our sin and our rebellion against a holy God. And Jesus steps into human history and he, he goes towards the cross and he says to Paul, Paul, I'm going there. I'm gonna walk the brutality of the cross, the shame of the cross, the guilt of the cross. I'm gonna walk that guiltless and shameless and I'm gonna hang there and I'm gonna experience the pain of the cross and the judgment of the Father on the cross. And I'm gonna experience separation from the Father on the cross. So that, Paul, you can experience my grace and my mercy and my kindness. And you know what? He speaks about being delivered from this evil age. And I don't think, actually, as I speak to people, whether we're Christ followers or just investigating the claims of Christ or even far from Christ, that many people struggle to see evil in this age and that this world is not the way it should be. I think many of us are very willing to say, hey, evil's out there. I see it out there. And many of us are actually quite willing to acknowledge that evil can get quite close. And there are times where we experience the evil of this world and, and we suffer because of it, because of things people have done to us and the brokenness in the world, that we experience suffering. And so I think we find it easy to say, evil's out there and evil's around me and it affects me. But I think where we struggle sometimes is to go, no, but evil's in me. That there's rebellion in me, there's sin in me, there's brokenness in me. And what the gospel says is that Jesus needed to substitute himself on a cross because we are sinful and evil and broken in and of ourselves. And the evil out there is is due to the evil within here. And actually, when I speak to people, even when they're far from God, most people are aware of that and are actually longing when they're honest for something to do with it, somewhere to take it. The things that we, we regret, the, the pain we know we've caused others, the sense of longing for something more than just ourselves. And we try to fill that hole with so many things in this world and we end up hurting ourselves and hurting others. And into that space, into the brokenness of humanity and into the brokenness of people, God would move in grace and kindness. And at the center of the gospel message is a cross that Jesus said, I will endure what you deserve so that I can move towards you in grace and mercy. And what that means is that anyone who is willing to acknowledge that there's something broken in here something to own, something to say sorry for, something to repent of before God and people can come to the foot of the cross, come to the person of Jesus and go, forgive me. And he says, it is my great pleasure. It is my great joy to forgive you and to remove shame and guilt and condemnation and judgment from your life forever. That's the gospel. So that Paul, a murderer in the church, would have this experience, Acts 9. So Paul is actually blinded by this encounter with Jesus, seeing his glory and beholding him. He's actually blinded and his friends have to lead him into the city of Damascus. And there is a faithful Christ follower, Ananias, sitting there praying. And as he prays, 
he's, he's, he, he hears God whisper to him, go to this house on this street and pray for Paul or Saul. And he's like, what? Wait, he's the one who's killing us. What do you mean go and pray for Saul at that house? And he says, no, go. He's one of us now. Go. And Ananias goes to this house and this is what it says. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Ananias lays his hands on him, prays for him, the scales fall from his eyes and Paul would never be the same again. He had encountered the goodness and the kindness and the mercy of God and he was fully and completely transformed. Yes, he was going on a journey, but he was now a son of God. I find it incredible that Paul, the murderer of the church, and you've got Ananias, who has no experience of what's happened in Damascus, walks into a room with this murderer who is coming to drag him and those whom he loved back to Jerusalem to persecute them. He walks into that room. He lays his hands on Saul and goes, brother. He goes, brother. It's immediately brother. And so we see in Paul the power of the gospel to bring peace between Paul and Jesus, between peace between Paul and God, and immediately it brings peace between Paul and Ananias. That's the impact of the gospel, personal revelation of Jesus that transforms us and then empowers us to be free from going, you're not worthy, you don't deserve this. No, you've met Jesus, he's forgiven you, he's filled you with his spirit, brother, sister, I love you, it doesn't matter. Past doesn't matter, that's the past. You're my, you're my brother, you're my sister. And we see this in the most incredible ways of people in concentration camps and German soldiers after the war, both encountering Jesus and them reconciling and finding forgiveness. Throughout history, there has been no message that can bring peace like this between people and God and people and people. And I have been struggling this whole week in my prep because it feels like my words do not capture the wonder and the power of the gospel, but you have to experience it in people's personal testimony and the wonder of going, how are they friends? How do they call each other brother and sister? Because of the power of the gospel and the message of Jesus. It's what separates it from everything else that we hear. I love what he goes on to say, because remember this whole thing, this whole thing is him going, I haven't really spoken to anyone until later. And he goes, the church didn't really know me, but what they did know, they, they'd heard a lot about me in verse 23. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith. He once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me. They just heard about Paul. What, him? How did he come to faith? It's like what I say of Ryan all the time. How, how is he a pastor? Do you guys know who he was? I love it, Garth, Garth who came to faith. He still has people who come and go, what are you doing now? I'm a pastor. They're like, no, I knew you at high school. I knew you at varsity. There is no, no. Not you, Garth, you're joking. Ha, 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 here's a bit. No, I don't, um, that life's gone. That life's gone. That's former life stuff. That's the power of the gospel is that the 
most unworthy, the most undeserving, the most unlikely, the most hard-hearted, the most angry, the most vehemently opposed, those who hate this are the ones that the grace of God is delighted to meet and to call home and to adopt as sons and daughters and say, you're mine and I love you. That's the gospel. And then you get someone like me where you go, his life didn't seem to change that much. He was pretty good at keeping the rules beforehand and then he seems okay-ish at keeping the rules still. My story was slightly different. My story was a growing up and hearing the gospel and just fear of hell. An internal battle and turmoil in my heart all the time as I grew up going every night praying, God, 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 forgive me. And I would go through the list of my sins every single night out of a fear that if I didn't make it through the night, I wanted to be sure where I was going. 16 years, I remember being 16 and on a camp. And actually, Stephen Ryan was preaching on that camp and he preached on this grace. He preached the message of grace that night. And I went up to him and I said, pray for me. And he said, I will, but then go outside and do business with God. This is between you and him. So I did, I went outside and I looked up at the stars and I remember going, God, is this true? Is this true that it's grace, that it's, I can't earn it. I can't make it happen. I remember the moment at Mizpah standing under the stars and it was like the light switch went on and suddenly it all fell away and it was freedom and peace and grace and mercy. And I still repent, but not every night for every sin. And I live in a joy and a freedom and a peace in my heart. I'm not full of anxiety. I'm full of peace and joy. And so the surface might look different, but I am no longer a legalist. I am now a man of grace and peace who delights to the will of my Father. That's the transformation in my heart. That's the gospel. Let's stand. Could I ask everyone to close your eyes? I feel like I have faith to ask if anyone wants to respond to this message. We'll see if people do. If not, we'll just go to the table. It's amazing. There are enough of us who have enjoyed this moment. But there may be some of you in this room this morning who, who have heard this message of God and it's, it's stirring something in you. Something's coming alive in you. That's often the Spirit of God at work in you. You don't have to fully understand everything I've said and who Jesus is. And you just need to know that He is who He says He is and He's done what He said He's done. And the way to come to Him is through surrender and faith in Him. And I wanna give you an opportunity to respond. And you're not gonna to come to the front, you're not gonna go to the back, you're not gonna engage another person, you're gonna engage the person of God himself if something is stirring in your heart. But if you wanna to respond to this message for the very first time, I would love to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. And so that's you. I just wanna know who I'm gonna pray with. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything. I literally wanna know who I'm praying with. If that's you, would you just raise up your hand nice and high? So, wonderful. Anyone else? Wonderful. Anyone else? That's amazing. Lovely, another one, wonderful. God, this is a holy moment. This is a moment where the Spirit of God is at work in this space. Thank you for that, Jesus, that you are calling people to yourself, not because of who they are or what they've done, but because of your grace and your mercy and your kindness. So if you raise your hand, this is simply a moment between you and God where you are responding to His kindness. You're responding to his grace. Just pray a simple prayer. God, I wanna come to you. I wanna put my faith and trust in you. And I wanna experience relationship with you based on your grace. Would you forgive me for my rebellion and my sin against you and against others? 
Fill me with your spirit, please. And knit me into this community, other brothers and sisters who will welcome me as brothers and sisters immediately. And would you help me to learn what it is to follow you as I live out the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.